You're listening to Free Talk Live on the Vanguard News Network. Mitch? Hello, Jeff. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Yeah. Uh, you know, as we got uh, we had a little, little call, a little setup call uh, earlier in the evening, and, and um, I said, hey, that's Mitch, all right. I can recognize your voice. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, your, um, your uh, videos got posted um, on our forum a while back, and said, I said, wow, uh, this, guy's, uh, this guy's doing something interesting, because... Um, um, we don't have too many people who do video, uh, at least at least not in the way you do, where you deliver the news. You're kind of doing what we do here on the radio, but uh, in front, in video. So I thought that w- that was pretty interesting, and uh, you had a certain style and so forth, and uh, it was pretty good. Uh, I enjoyed it very much. Oh well, thank you. It's uh, you know it started off as almost kind of a lark, just to see if I could do it. And I started getting a pretty good response from a lot of people, so I figured I'd try and make it a regular thing. Well, people people eat this stuff up, and and there's there's a huge hunger for it, uh, and um, I, I'm I'm really surprised. Uh, uh, there's not enough of it, uh, and and my show uh, is is a pretty modest production, and uh, Goy Fire uh, started off, uh, you know. Goyfire's now got 44 episodes, and and as I listen to Goyfire, uh, you know Goyfire's been around for a long time now, you know, a year or so, a uh, relatively long time, and and um, as you do it, um, you get better, and and that's certainly the case with my show. I, I've done I don't know maybe 10, 15 live broadcasts, and each time uh, I kind of uh, I narrow narrow a few things, pick up a few uh, a few techniques. Uh, to improve and um, and and go from there, uh, and it, it, it's a passion, and and you know I, I I suppose you have a little bit of that too. Before we go any farther, let me reintroduce uh, my guest here. This is Mitch Bubba with uh, Region Five it, it, Region Five Video. Is that the URL? Uh, region Five dot net slash video. Yeah, Region Five. If you go to Region Five dot net, you'll get there. Yes, uh, if I, I recall, and. Um, You've got a picture there of um, uh, you've got how many broadcasts uh, you've done? Five. Uh, five so far. Yeah. This is the official episode four was the last one. The first one was just a demo broadcast. Yeah, and uh, y- you know, like I was saying, you you pick up things and and you you get a you get you get a little bit of a, a stimulation. You and you know, I go back and 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 I and I also sometimes listen to my broadcasts. And and see see what things uh, get better. Uh, now you're up there. You're up. You, you're called Mitch because you're in um, you're in uh, Michigan, right? That's correct. Born and raised, and still here. Wow, that's great. I, I'm also uh, also native to my area too, which is the Kansas Missouri area, and uh, I've put down roots. And 
uh, this super highway they're going to build up from Texas may push me out. <laughs> but, yeah, but, you're going to want to get as far away from that thing as you can. Yeah, I'm afraid so. And uh, yes. but uh, my family's been here for quite a while, and uh, I don't know about has your family been up there quite a while? Uh, yes, they have uh, for several generations on both sides and. On the English side of the family, they've been here since the War of 1812. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, from up north, Michigan. Yeah, I, I love that sort of thing. I'm, I, I'm, I feel very excited about. You know, General Custer was from Michigan. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Yeah, he was. He was yeah. a great Aryan leader. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He he uh, he met his demise fighting the enemy. That's for sure. Well, at least he didn't die in the middle of a scandal or something else. Yeah, no kidding. And. Um, but uh you've been you've been in and out of uh uh you've been you've been around we were talking briefly you've been in around white white nationalist circles for some time haven't you uh probably about 6 years for white nationalist um politics prior to that it would be more of the libertarian bircher kind of politics oh. and that was after I was republican which I finally came to my senses in the late 80s yeah well, that, that's sooner than me. I, I resigned as a Republican about, or I should say I, I disaffiliated about, about a year and a half ago, two years ago. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I, Bircher, that sounds pretty interesting. But how old are you? I'm 42 presently. Oh, well, that's, you're, we're, uh, we're peers. Okay. And uh, so... Uh, uh, you know, Bircher. I, you know, the Birchers were pretty much history by the time I came along. How'd you went? How'd you wind up? Did you? Were you a member? Uh, no, I wasn't. I, I flirted with membership. Um, basically, I be- started becoming disaffected with the Republican Party. Yeah. And they're basically political transvestites. If you ask me, they should be forced to wear a dress in public. And as as soon as Clinton was elected. Uh, we started becoming very concerned about our gun rights and everything else. And I became familiar with the Birchers at uh, several uh, Second Amendment rallies that we had. And then from there, I started seeing a lot more evidence as to things were going wrong and there were people working at it, but the Birchers never connected the last couple dots. They never told you who or why. Yeah. That was was what Revelo Oliver said, too. Yeah, it, it... it was really lacking, although they were very effective in alerting you to these horrible uh, world government schemes that were trying to be perpetrated. They just didn't connect the last couple dots, and it wasn't until uh, David Duke's book, who I'd been a supporter of even in the 80s when he had uh, the National Association for the Advancement of White People, yeah, um, and the chapter, um, The Jewish Question, in the book My Awakening, and all the pieces fell into place at that point. You know, uh, I uh, that was considerably before I stumbled onto white nationalists. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you something though. I was going to school down in Louisiana, and uh, I attended a uh, uh, a a campaign rally for David Duke, and it was in Metairie, Louisiana, and there was uh, probably 100, 200 people in this room, and they were crazy for this guy. They oh, were, he was a yeah. he was a great politician back then as well. Yeah. Yeah, they were I actually voted for him in the primaries here in Michigan, but they erased mine and everybody else's votes, saying that it was impossible that that many people had voted for David Duke. Therefore, it was fraud, and they erased it all. Yeah, that that that's not uncommon. I, in fact, in this last election, I think that was 
the Constitution Party, and I voted for the Constitution Party for president. Uh, that guy in 2004, uh, that Peruka. I didn't, you know, the whole Christian thing didn't turn me on, but I figured, well, I'll just vote for him. This year, I didn't vote at all. But uh, uh, yeah, uh, you know, what's funny is um, you mentioned you 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 were in with the Republicans for a while, and and I suppose that that's a pretty common story. For listeners uh, tonight, also they probably a lot of a lot of listeners probably uh, uh, know that, but uh, or come out of that background. But I um I oh my God, my credibility is going to be shot to hell. <laughs> but I, I was a member of the College Republicans, believe it or not, and uh, and we had a uh, uh, a meeting and one of the state legislators. This is while Duke was a was a sitting member of the state legislature legislature in Louisiana, and Duke. Uh, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the college Republicans down there were also very excited about Duke, and he kind of energized uh, them to some degree. Well, uh, went down there and um, uh, they had a meeting and they brought in a uh, another state legislature to give a talk, and he he his uh, the the reason for his talk was you know something you know other other than what he was uh, his real stated purpose, but his stated purpose was to tell everyone that David Duke. Is uh, is 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 uh, a, t- a terrible man, and you can't vote for him, and you can't work for him because he, you know he's 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 a bad rotten man. Of course, he didn't say it. He didn't he didn't come out and say it. But it, it was all sort of a, a a bull session where you know he just uh, uh, you know everything kind of ended up talking about how bad Duke was. That's quite a campaign to run on the negativity of someone else rather than your own positive points. Yeah. And uh, so that was uh, that was my Duke experience. But uh, so he, he, how'd you end up with a copy of his book? You know, I I can't quite recall. I know that it came out, and I was getting a lot of literature from him from years ago. Because uh, once you donate to somebody, sometimes they continue to uh, so you, oh, solicit you. How did you? I mean, I mean, what 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 did? Oh, so you you had already kind of been in contact with Duke's organization before you got the book. Yes, I had way back uh, when he was running the National Association for the Advancement of White People. Oh, then I should ask you. Then how did you how did you hear about that? Um, I believe because it, it was covered on the news as a racist oh. organization, and based on what they had said, uh, they sounded like they were just as fair as any other uh, organization looking out for their interests. And I finally just called up information down in Louisiana and asked for uh, David Duke and. It took a few zip codes, or not zip codes, but area codes, and I finally got his uh, his hotline number, and uh, wow. they sent me some literature. Wow! So something lit a fire under your ass. Well, <laughs> I guess you know grew most up people, in all white, affluent area, and uh, uh-huh. the reality of adulthood was uh, a very rough reality because we weren't raised well. We didn't have any blacks in our school, yeah. so we didn't know what was wrong with them. And the Jewish question was obviously something I came to much later. Yes. Well, you know, I'm the same way. I grew up here, and I'm I'm in kind of the lower Midwest, uh, or the middle Midwest, and you're up uh, in the great white north. But um, I never grew up around blacks. And then when I traveled to go to school in Louisiana, uh, that was my first uh, uh, awakening to these people. And And down there in the south... There's a lot of uh, there's there's some pretty dumb niggers running around down there. And, oh uh, God, Detroit area too. 
Well, yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to ask you about. And and so you grew up in a, in a part of Michigan at that time that was pretty nigger free. And um, uh, uh, what I want to talk about, what I wanted to ask you, I'm glad you brought that up because, uh, you know, a lot of niggers ended up migrating to Detroit and so forth. And uh, and they worked there in in the factories, but now the all the factories are gone. What are all those niggers doing? From what I can tell, stealing copper and electrocuting themselves in the attempts to steal copper. Wow! So they're I mean, just out there tearing down the city, right? Yeah, they'll rip the siding off your houses. They'll break in and steal all the brass out of your plumbing, and they'll come back and do it again after you've replaced it all. Are you in a nigger area right now? Uh, no, I'm not. In, I'm in Auburn Hills, Michigan, which is demographically, I still, I think, still 80% white. Unfortunately, though, my particular neighborhood, which the cops really can't stand anymore, uh, we got hit with the brown tidal wave of Mexicans. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so that's been very unpleasant, and I don't really plan on staying here much longer, although I hate cutting and running either. Yeah. Oh, no, you've got to... I mean, I think we all face the facts that... Uh, there's going to be uh, a huge. Uh, well, there, for, first of all, there is a great uh, internal migration going on in this country, and one wave of that migration is people out of California, and of course the other general wave is whites, what they call white flight, and uh, and people fleeing on the move. Uh, I mean, my family on my mother's side, they all came out of. Um, um, of the Kansas City area, and they lived uh, down, you know, downtown, right? And uh, and then uh, this was in the 30s, and then I kind of tracked their progress on a on a on a plot, uh, on a map, and you know, by the 50s they were out farther, and then, and then all of a sudden in the, in the 60s when all this integration stuff came out, boom, they're right, <laughs> they're almost out in the cornfields, and uh, and uh, so uh, yeah, you know, we're but what I'm saying is is that this this uh, migration uh, of our people is not over, and it's probably going to pick up. And yeah, it's kind of funny you mentioned the white flight like that because my parents are a little older, and they remember the 30s, 40s, and early 50s yeah. in Detroit, living in the city, and they loved it. They have nothing but great memories. Yeah, my same with mine. And I don't understand their lack of outrage. I mean, this beautiful city, all these great memories. And you, you don't even stop at a, a stoplight in that town for yeah. fear of, you know, racial violence against you. And they don't go down there. And yet they'll continually tell me all day that we are the same as them. And it's, why'd you run away then? Yeah. I, 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 you, you drive down there, uh, where, I mean, it's probably the same for your folks, uh, and you see these magnificent public buildings. And, and this is the case in Kansas City as well. I mean, stone you know, uh, buildings, not these prefab things. And, you know, the neighborhoods, some of the neighborhoods were, at least my family lived in, they were they were kind of poor and uh, struggling uh, people back then. Uh, they they were not, you know, particularly, mi- they, they could not have been deemed middle class by the, the standards of that time. So I suppose that, f- you know, for them, uh, they were they were kind of glad to be moving up economically and out. And then, of course, they also had... Um, you know that the stimulus of the niggers, uh, you know, pushing them. So it probably wasn't that difficult for a decision for them. But you know, what's interesting about my family is my family hated the niggers, and and, uh, uh, and my grandfather uh, and and my father and you know on both sides of the family they hated niggers, 
And, of course, the men of that time would just beat the hell out of him if they came anywhere near him. Uh, I think that would be the same for my grandparents as well. Unfortunately, uh that trait was not passed down. You know, it's funny because uh, now my cousins who who also live in this town uh, and have been, you know, kind of sheltered uh, from the niggers, they they are less, they're not as racist. Well, the less you have around them, or the less you're around them, the less you see what's wrong and the more likely you are to have those pre-programmed knee-jerk responses that schooling and every bit of television and radio is programmed into you. Did your grandfather ever talk about the Jews? No. Okay. Uh, they died when I was still a little young, uh, in my teens, and we just hadn't gotten around to those subjects yet. You know, my um, my mother, who's still alive, uh, you know, I, 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 she's 80, she's in her 80s, and I, of course, my grandmother just died uh, a year or two ago, and she was 97. But um, uh, for you folks uh, that have uh, listeners tonight that have your 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 parents living, especially if they're older like that, uh, and, and you know, certainly your grandfather uh, grandparents living, you know, ask them these questions. Ask them about how things were, and ask them about their racial attitudes. And I found out. Uh, when I asked my grandmother and mother about about the Jews, that uh, yeah, he, he said, "Oh, your grandfather hated the Jews. He called them kikes." And then he said that he told all his kids, "Don't ever do business with the Jews." That was his advice that he gave his kids: "Don't don't do business with the Jews." And so, uh, you know, y- you will be surprised, I, I think, if you're uh, uh, if you don't if you don't know this about your your grandparents. Uh, uh, that uh, you know how they felt about these critters, and they didn't like them. Well, I'm sure they did, and it was very common in their peer group to be able to say things like that. Um, I've noticed going down to Florida to visit my father and talking to some of the other older people, you can lead them into those conversations, and their true feelings do come out. And you can even lead them down the path into agreeing with uh, National Socialist policies, which is kind of remarkable because they were the you know generations that supposedly save the world from the Nazis, but a lot of them don't really have that anti-Nazi sentiment. They don't. That the people probably in their 60s and 70s today have. You know, my my father, was your father a World War II vet? Uh, no. Okay. He was um, drafted for Korea, but he was in engineering. Huh. Well, my father was, and, and I had a chance to talk to him quite a bit about, about the war, and he almost never really mentioned very anything political, any sort of political ideas, and uh, and and you know when he was talking about the war, I mean everything. It was a very concrete experience for him. It was, uh, you know, it was ships, it was grease, it was guns, it was killing, and uh, he 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 really didn't have a very uh, uh, very. He didn't really have a political ideology about the war. He didn't have a political understanding of the war very deeply. And, you know, one time I asked him, I said, you know, were, you know, were, were you fighting for these Jews over there? He went to the Pacific, though. But I asked him about, you know, these Jews. I didn't know the Holocaust story then. So I asked him, I said, you know, uh, what did you think about the Jews and all all this stuff, uh, you know, and this, these atrocities and, and uh, so on? And I said, I don't care about that. I, I said, I wasn't <laughs> fighting for that. As a matter of fact, I'm not even sure what he was fighting for. I'm not I'm, to this day. I, I don't even think he really knows what he was fighting for. He told me that he uh, he, he he thought he was going to be drafted, 
So he went down and joined up, and he joined the Navy thinking that he wouldn't end up in the infantry. Wise move on his part, too. <laughs> but he ended up in the Marines, though. Oh, God. <laughs> he ended up in the Marines in Guadalcanal. Okay, I have a great uncle that was down in those fights, and he was very glad that the Japs were nuked. Yeah. Because he, he was gearing up to invade the mainland, and he did not want to go. That's my father. he saw how savage they were. Yeah, he said the same thing. That, uh, yeah, exactly. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, talk to your talk to your parents, uh, you know, the listeners and, and grandparents that are still around, and you know, try to try to coax this information about them. Or, you know, I noticed in your um, in your broadcast on, on Region Five dot net, uh, are are you do you consider yourself a national socialist? Yes, I do. What it seems to be the the logical conclusion of a lifetime of examining politics. I've you know been politically aware since an early teen and at the time you know all you could get was Jewish versions of news magazines and things like that but it seemed the the logical conclusion of a lifetime of learning politics human nature uh, reading Mein Kampf really swayed my opinion quite a bit um, and understanding that America is in trouble and it would be great to l- return to a laissez-faire freedom uh, that you hear the um, uh, libertarians talk about, uh-huh. but you also can't have that unless you have a quality of people that can accept the responsibilities of it. And I don't believe we have that. And I see National Socialism as the only vehicle, maybe after three or four generations, to restore a lot of those uh, independent, a lot of the laissez-faire freedoms like that. Yeah, I kind of consider myself a National Socialist too. How did you? Um, how did you? Uh, I asked this also last week with a, a guest FS88, and one, you know, one of the last dominoes to fall for me was, um, uh, you know, the whole World War II thing in terms of understanding. And I presume you also feel this way uh, that uh, you know, the, basically, the wrong side won, and you know, Britain, the United States, uh, and our, our allies were were tricked into fighting this war against Germany. And and with disastrous con- consequences that we're living through right now, and I, I presume you also feel the same way. How did how did you? I mean, th- that was quite a leap for me when I when I figured that out. Uh, how did you come about that idea? I, I presume you did. Well, it, the internet did quite a bit to inform me about um, the falseness of the Holocaust story. Okay. Um, people were making claims and demonstrating how certain things were impossible. Where's the ashes from six million people? You know, that's quite a bit of volume there that's suddenly missing. Um, coal deposits that aren't shown at these supposed crematoriums, you know, in uh-huh. large enough deposits to actually incinerate people. And, and the time that it takes to incinerate people, it, it's, none of it was adding up right. And... But I think the last leap that took me to National Socialism would be when I started listening to Dr. Pierce's broadcast. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't. And, uh, I don't think you would get it from Duke. No, no, I don't think you would. But Dr. Pierce seemed to have um, a genius about him, and he understood that we needed to rehabilitate ourselves as a people and as a culture, and that it was possible, but not with Jewish influence, and not when you tolerate uh, people. Uh, preying upon others, such as the capitalists tend to do. Yeah. 
and people making gobs and gobs of money through unearned income or overrated income like basketball stars making hundreds of millions, whereas the factory worker that toils all day uh, makes a pittance. Who's yeah. actually more important in our society and our economy? I know. This is. Um, do you listen to Tom Metzger? Yes, I do. I enjoy his programs quite a bit. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know, I was listening to him t- uh, today, and he was playing all that left-wing stuff, and uh, he was playing clips from left-wing television, and he he was saying you know you should really listen to these guys because uh, they've got a lot of good ideas, and you know he he was very quick to point out, look, these guys are all wrong on the race issue, but they've got a lot of economics, uh, they've got a lot of different information. And they've got a lot of um, uh, uh, interesting ideas, uh, you know, that you won't hear anywhere else. And what was he saying? Well, he had to play this one where they had this German guy, and he came up with a new economic in- indicator called the Gross Prod. Was it Progress Index? Yeah, this is one of his his latest uh, shows. And he he was saying that you know that the GNP number is a fraud because well, it's not a fraud, but it, it's flawed. It because it lists things that are actually damaging to a country, as in, like, when, when forests are cut down, uh, you know, that increases your GNP, right? Because you have all this product that's being pushed out in the market and people are, you know, using it. But it doesn't so account for the resource that is consumed. That's and right. count that against the increase. And uh, there are people, when, when people get cancer, for instance, that's, that also increases the GNP, right? Because doctors are at work and there's, there's med- the medical establishment at work, but you don't want people to get sick with cancer, right? You want Correct. your population to be healthy. And Same with the prison yeah. industry, which is booming these days. That's, that's not a net positive to the GNP, even though they can cook the books to make it look that way because it's employing so many people. That's right. And, uh, and, you know, uh, I forget, kind of follow my train of thought here on this, but, yeah, and, and, I, and I think National Socialism has the answer to that. And, and uh, it, it's disappointing uh, to see uh, where the... Is it disappointing for you to see where the Nazi movement is in this country? Or, or what, what do you think about the white nationalist movement in general? Uh, I used to be a lot more invigorated... Uh-huh. and more optimistic with it. Uh, as I've been involved in it a little while, I, I become a little bit more pessimistic. I see a lot of self-destruction in it. Yeah. A lot of uh, people being taken down by other people that claim to be national or uh, white nationalists, and I don't understand that. You know, you're not going to get along with everybody. That doesn't mean you have to destroy them. And I keep getting told, well, your way's wrong. We have to do it this way or the other. Well, you know, the Jews have hundreds, if not thousands, of organizations in this country. They seem to go straight toward the same end without harming each other along the way. And I don't know why we can't do that. Yeah, they, 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 uh, uh, they have these multitudes of organizations that add up to an economy, you know, the size of several U.S. states. Or, and, and, you know, the, the amount of money and power they can wield. And they're all a little bit different from each other. And, and they all work towards moving their people in one direction. And, and it doesn't matter if they're in the Democrat or Republican Party. They, they, they push in the same direction. And that's really what National Socialism is all about for whites, for Aryans. Yes, it is. You know, it's kind of interesting. Um, I used, years ago, I had a Jewish neighbor, and he invited me into his house for some reason I can't remember. 
And I noticed a plaque on his wall. I mean, everything had been Nora's and everything all over the place. Huh. And uh, he was not a well-liked neighbor. He pretty much tried to use all the other neighbors to do things for him, you know. <laughs> it, it was com- he, he was a classic kike. And, uh, and he did not consider himself white, by the way. But uh, I saw this plaque, B'nai B'rith Blood Bank. And I was like, you Jews even have your own stash of blood, just in case... You know, when everybody else runs oh out, you will still yeah. be fine. Ah, boy, was he upset the first time he saw me with a swastika. Oh, you did? You showed him your swastika, huh? I had a pin on my jacket uh, after an event I was at, and um, this was after living next to the guy for like five, six years, and he, he came out and saw me by my car and tried talking to me, and he saw that, and boy, was he spitting fire. <laughs> He started going on about 16 million dead. I said, wait a minute, get your story straight. I thought it was 6 million. And, you know, I, all I could do was laugh. I wasn't going to be mean to an old man, you know? Yeah, there's no sense in that. No. Wow. Yeah, you mentioned you met, um, uh, there's another guy I listened to uh, uh, on the radio. I listened to about every white nationalist radio station and broadcast that I can hear. And one one of my pet peeves with the the Turner Radio Network people is uh, they don't archive their their broadcasts, but all of our archive all of our broadcasts, including this one, will be archived. But um, is Paul Geller? You told me you you met him. How, how did you meet Paul Geller? Uh, I met him at the Taxpayers Against Israel rally in wow. uh, 2002, which was a heck of an event. Uh, that was real inspiring too, real invigorating. Uh, we were actually. Uh, marching down into the event, and he was in line in front of me, and we were just kind of chit-chatting along the way. Had no idea, you know, that was before his radio show or anything like that. Oh. So I was kind of amused to see him get that going. Oh, I when see. When he first told me his name, I thought, Geller. <laughs> are, you, are you on some sort of, are, are there very many, I, to, to be honest with you, I've I've pressed flesh with very, very few white nationalists. Uh, and I've I've met in person very very few white nationalists. I only got involved in this movement probably two years ago, and um, and uh, in terms of of actually identifying as a white nationalist, are there very many activist events uh, around the country? Or uh, I mean, are there more now? Are there less now than there were? Did you go to more in the past than than, than now or what? Well, it seems like in the past, uh, well, prior to the Oklahoma City bombings, there were a lot of uh, pro-nationalist events, uh, Second Amendment rallies. Uh, We used to have a rally called Brass Roots. We used to protest the raising of the U.N. flag over the uh, United States flag at the Capitol. Wow. And all that became pretty unpopular after the Federal Murrah Building came down. You think that that really took uh, the movement, the nationalist movement in general, took a pretty big hit after that, huh? Yeah, a lot of people ran away, and a lot of people were basically hunted down and persecuted. All, all the militia guys were... Well, know. Michigan in particular was a uh, focus of a lot of attention. Yeah, it was. And, but it's kind of funny because the only person that ever got any press time was somebody who wasn't even in the Michigan militia. He went to one meeting once, wasn't allowed in, so he formed the Northern Regional Michigan Militia. And whenever the press wanted to find out about the Michigan militia, they just go to him, and he was... Total kook material for him. Who, so who, they ran with that. Who was the guy that ran that Michigan militia? I don't know who ran the Michigan militia itself, but it was, uh, I believe, Norm Olson that ran the uh, fake one that oh. got all the press time. Yeah. 
Yeah, I remember the Michigan Militia was, uh, you know, I was still kind of plugged into the TV in those days. And uh, the Michigan Militia drew a huge amount of attention. And uh, I imagine a lot of people in Michigan were, were were putting their heads under their pillows, hoping the cops wouldn't come by their door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people were pretty frightened of that, and for good reason. Um, when they came up to uh, go to the Nichols farm, yeah. After um, they figured out who might have done it or decided who they were going to pick for it, uh, when they came into Selfridge Air Force Base and went up the freeway up to that farm. They brought enough military hardware to fight off the entire state of militia or Michigan if they had to. Wow. Yeah, they came in very heavy-handed, and they were not ashamed of the force. This uh, this Nichols, uh, so uh, everybody knows, uh, he was a... Uh, did he live near you? He was part of the Oklahoma City bombing conspiracy, right? Yeah, that was a couple hours away up in the thumb of Michigan. And he had ties with the militia. His brother had all these new American magazines from the Birchers around. And, you know, it suddenly became those were signs of uh, terrorists, you know. So do you, you think the Oklahoma story is as, uh, as we've been told it? No. I, I think um, McVeigh died with sealed lips, and he knew probably or had a pretty good idea what really happened. But I, I don't believe an info bomb could take a building down like that. The... You know, even on Hogan's Heroes, when they want to blow something up, they put the explosives on the thing they want to explode. Yeah. The shockwaves don't transmit through the air very well. Yeah. I, I, I actually uh, uh, I actually can't... Uh, uh, I actually got a lot of respect for McVeigh, the way he con- uh, conducted himself. Uh, he, didn't, he never groveled, and he never begged for forgiveness. And uh, I, 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 I looked at him and I said, "Man, this this guy, he he." If, I know there's a lot of conspiracies of theories about him, but if you accept that he was involved in this plot in some way, uh, he he sure went to his grave apparently, uh, uh, without uh, bawling and crawling and groveling for the media or going on Barbara Walters with tears in his eyes and. Or, you know, saying I've been misunderstood or whatever. Well, that's exactly what they wanted out of him. Yeah, and they didn't get it. No, so he, he he. I guess he was made. You know, assuming he is who we think he is, uh, he was made of pretty stern stuff. I don't think a lot of people would be made that strong either. Yeah, you know, a, a lot of white nationalists get taken down because somebody they know close to them commit some type of petty crime or something where they might even get a couple years out of it and they roll right over on whoever they can to get out of their trouble. Yeah, I know. Including setting people up and baiting people into crimes that they wouldn't have been part of if it hadn't have been for a trusted friend getting them to do it. Yeah. You just you just can't, you know, if you if you're going to if you're going to consider something like this, you just you just can't just don't talk to anyone about it. I mean, not it, not it, your wife, your spouse, yeah. God, anybody. I, I uh, you're just going to hurt somebody else, and I don't advocate uh, any sort of uh, any any sort of violent activity. I believe in a peaceful democratic transition <laughs> 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 and working within the system. 
Yes, I'll, I'll, I'll keep writing in the names. Somebody sooner or later will agree with me, and everybody will all write the same name in at the same time, and we'll will change the country. But uh, yeah, but if we, and we'll send letters to our congressman. But uh, yeah. if if you are considering something like that, uh, you know, just 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 don't say anything. And yeah, I think Metzger's philosophy on that is pretty intact. I I, I think he's doing um, I think he's doing uh, the best. Uh, I, I'm really impressed by his shows. He he uh, he's kind of like the old man of the movement. I know a lot of people don't like him, but uh, he's kind of like the old man of the movement. And uh, I kind of I kind of feel like I'm I'm listening to grandfather on the porch. Uh, well, I was pretty upset. I was hoping to meet him last March when he came up here to Michigan for the NSM rally, which I was a uh, supporter of. Oh, did you go there? I w- yeah, I was on the steps with the NSM guys. Was, oh, you uh, were. Yeah, it was pretty exciting. Did you listen to my interview with Bill White? Uh, gosh, no, I didn't. Okay, it, no, it, I didn't. I, I'll, I'll give a plug here, but um, uh, if if you go to govnn.com and then the archives and then the truth is no defense, I did an hour-long interview with Bill White subsequent to that uh, event in uh, in in um, in, uh, uh, in in Lansing, right? Yes, and uh, I, I listen. There was a lot of buzz on this forum, and uh, I really had, I privately, I really had high hopes uh, about uh, the NSM, and and of course, it all just unraveled so quickly. But before we get to that, I, I didn't know this about you, uh, Mitch. But before we get to that, and before we get to the unraveling, as much as you would like to talk about that, uh, tell us about this. What was it like being part of that? Was that an exciting thing for you? <laughs> Well, it started off even pretty neat. I mean, we had to meet at a rest area, a super secret location, because, you know, the ARA, they're, they're scouting for us everywhere. Uh-huh. And, um, and then from there, we would go to a meeting place where the police would meet us and then bus us in, which, of course, the police gave us incorrect directions, hoping we would be late enough. That No kidding. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it was kind of neat. I'm just standing there in, in regular. So you don't th- you don't think any cops had any sort of sympathy at all for your you guys? Uh, I think the typical cop had more sympathy than anybody in uh, any administrative position. Okay. And that's typically the case. Okay. But uh, so I'm standing there, standing around with about six or eight guys. Hal Turner's even one of them, and we're just kind of shooting the shit. All of a sudden, a big convoy of cars and all these uniformed Nazis start piling out. And everybody at the rest stops, I mean, they just stopped what they were doing, and their mouths hit the ground. And, <laughs> and uh, we kind of formed up in lines, got some instructions, piled in our vehicles, and took off to this astonished crowd that had never seen anything like that. Because this was about 85 uniform guys showing up like a- that. About 80, 85 national socialists, huh? In uniform, yes. Uh-huh. And it was quite an impressive sight. Yeah, I bet it was. So you guys, you guys got up there, and, and did you give any speeches? Uh, no, I didn't. I okay. just did a lot of Sieg Heiling and held my flag and uh-huh. took a little bit of video while I was there. Are you, are you still a member of the National NSM? Uh, I was never a member. I was a supporter. Oh, a supporter. Uh, okay. Yes, I'm a member of a different group, uh, the National Alliance still. Are you a member of the NA? Yes, I am. Were you a member of the NA when Pierce was on, in there? Uh, yes, I was. In wow. fact, my I'm, membership I'm, card was signed by Billy Roper. Wow. You, uh, you're a real gold mine. I didn't know all this about this. Uh, you know, I came along, as I've said repeatedly, after, after all of this uh, sort of. Uh, I came along after the movement kind of went flat on its back. 
And uh, and you know, I never got to really hear Pierce when he was still alive. I, I've listened to all his ADVs. And well, it was a very sad thing to see the um, the National Alliance reduce its membership and its prominence. Um, I, I still believe in their methodology and their ideals. When you and say methodology, what do you mean by that? Uh, more like the suit and tie kind of National Socialists. Uh huh. I mean, the, you have the the Sieg Heiling uh, armband wearing Nazis out there, and that's good. They're needed too. You know, a little bit of thuggery and tough guys. That's needed for any movement. You know. But you also needed uh, people to appeal to people on a more respectable level. I don't know if I'm saying that quite right. Uh -huh. But some people are not going to listen to a um, Sieg Heiling um, guy. And they need to be, you need more one-on-one -on -one contact and be able to talk to people, uh, especially when you're, if you do literature distributions where you actually do have contact with the public. And you can't sound like a seething racist. You have to sound like a logical, uh, well-read person who has political goals to make this country a fair country and a safe country for white nationalists. You know, a lot of people, when you talk about national socialistic policies, they'll agree with you all the way down the line until they, can, they put it together that it's a Nazi thing. And then they don't want to hear any more from you. And I'm not the most active National Alliance member. In fact, I... A little ashamed I'm not more active uh, with them. Uh, I don't believe we have a Michigan unit anymore. But uh, I don't speak for the National Alliance, and nor am I authorized Sure, to sure. Something. Were you excited? Did you, did you, you know, the thing that was so odd about about the NSM is how, how quickly its stars seemed to burn out. And you had, you know, this is from my perspective anyway. You know, they kind of bur for me. They kind of burst upon the scene. There, there was um, I I paid attention to what happened on you know VNN forum because I don't really go to many other places generally to be honest with you. And you know I I you know I'd hear a lot of uh, you know talk about the NSM on the forum, and then all of a sudden this uh, all of a sudden this this uh, Lansing, Michigan thing happened, and boom. And uh, this was really one of the first real um, uh, demonstrations I'd ever witnessed. As someone who became kind of a racially conscious white nationalist, I thought, "Wow, that that's really, really something." And then, almost as quickly, it just disintegrated. I mean, did this take you by surprise? Uh, yes, it did. Um, I was very upset to see it, and, and I'm, I'm not going to use any form to bash particular people in any way. No, no, let's not do that. No, I, I was just very sad to see people behave that the way they did and have personalities rule the conflict more than anything else. Yeah, yeah. So what was your, when did you, about when did you join the National Alliance? Uh, that would have been March of 2002, I believe. I spent about a year looking at them before I actually joined. That's the first political group I ever actually joined. Other than the Republicans, yeah, you must have been pretty impressed with Pierce. Absolutely, absolutely. Plus the stated goals and objectives. Uh, you know the what is the National Alliance pamphlet uh, uh, spells it out very clearly. And yeah, uh, a lot of it was because of the person you know that was the chairman. It, it's sad to see organizations that exist solely on one person's personality. 
And I think maybe if Pierce had lasted a few more years, the National Alliance would have been self-sustaining without him. You know, a lot of people quit early on uh, because they didn't like this person or that person based on rumors or things that they heard on the Internet. And I didn't think that was the right attitude for a lot of people to take. I think they should have continued on with their activities, continued to work for the organization, and then after a year or so, see if that's still going the direction you want to go. I got a question here, a chat message uh, from Billy Bob, and and I, I, you know, maybe it's kind of a, maybe it's something you you rather not talk about. But he says, Do, does Mitch support Glebe? Uh, he. Eric Glebe is the yeah, chairman Glebe. of the National Alliance, and I fully support the chairman of the National Alliance. Okay. And, uh, uh, you know, um, we've talked about this on Free Talk Live, and I, I, what you're doing now uh, with um, with your television broadcasts, uh, maybe you've come to the same conclusion I have, uh, and that... Uh, just general, uh, this is almost like leafleting for me, uh, just general uh, broadcasting, uh, creating truth propaganda, uh, outreach, trying to influence people's minds, trying to uh, inculcate the ideas uh, in new people, and then and then reinforce the, those ideas in people who have already been uh, incul- indoctrinated into white nationalism, and I say that in a positive way, that's all I know how to do. Well, that's, it's very difficult to drag somebody completely out of their Jewbot mentality and into the truth. I mean, even I, who was inclined to look at things very objectively, was dragged kicking and streaming, screaming to the truth because the knee-jerk reaction people are programmed with. And, you know, brainwashing works. But um, if you can get somebody who's marginally there or looking around and you can influence them with the truth and videos like that, especially on YouTube because it gets a lot of exposure, seems to be a very productive way. Uh, leafleting itself has a value, but dollar per dollar, I think I'm getting a lot more money for my dollar with the videos than I ever did leafleting. I mean, leafleting each time I do it costs three, four hundred dollars, and you have to keep covering the same neighborhoods over and over, so that they don't think it's just a random leafleting. You know, they gotta feel that you're an established presence in their community. Yeah, p- people. You know, people that I'm I'm not aware of, uh, and you know, I do this show regularly, and I, and I think that really helps, uh, Mitch. Uh, you know, you you, you establish. Uh, a routine, and you know whatever the routine is, uh, you know this show is weekly, and I strive to put together a show each week, and I think that really helps. And uh, and but you know I I I, I get uh, uh, messages from people I don't know who they are. They could be forum people, but they don't they don't use their their forum names, so I don't know. But they they write to me and they and they and they thank me uh, for doing this 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 uh, br- these broadcasts. And they say thanks for all the hard work, and 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 thanks, uh, you know, for all of, all that you do. And you know, I'm not doing that to uh, pad, you know, to uh, pad my uh, uh, my, you know, pat myself on the back. But uh, people really appreciate this stuff, and it, and it's really hard to know exactly how how, you know, the, the when you're doing this kind of work, when you're doing this uh, creating these broadcasts, it's really hard to know the impact you're making. Because there's no 
there's no direct measurement uh, of your influence. But you know, I, I feel pretty confident that you know I, I'm you know whether it's Goyfire or Region Five uh, .net or, or, or Hal Turner's program, I, I have I have some hope, uh, you know, based upon these responses that people actually are benefiting by this, and and I hope it's new people. Have Have you seen any evidence of that? Uh, yes, I have. Um, I've been watching the because I you know cross post this to um, YouTube and people can write whatever they want there. Uh, some people are very insulting and abusive, but I, I don't pay any attention to that. But a lot of people that I've noticed said, well, you know, I don't like the way this guy looks or blah, blah, blah. But what he is saying is right, or at least most of it or some of it. And others that openly were against uh, my viewpoint you know, would ask me questions, and I'd say something like, well, stay tuned, because I'll be covering that subject in a future episode. And they're like, well, thank you very much. I expected, you know, a very nasty uh, response, and I'll definitely keep watching. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've noticed with a lot of Europeans, and you probably get this too, um, they're actually surprised to hear an American talking this way. Mm -hmm. um, I get the, well, it's good to know that not everybody in America is Zog, or, you know, things to that effect. Yeah. Well, I, I would think that if you could uh, get some access to your your system logs, your uh, uh, your downloads, that uh, you would find the majority of your downloads are from Europe, uh, which I think is a great thing. Those guys need to save themselves before they start hitting the demographics that are almost unrecoverable from which we've hit. Well, yeah, the you know I. I, I Folks, uh, just look around what's happening to you. Uh, yeah, sorry, I got a got a message here. Uh, okay, uh, just look around what's happening in this country. I are you are you hopeful for what's? Do you see any hope for us here in this country? Uh, I'm a little pessimistic. Yeah, me too. I mean, the only way I see us, well. And to quote Alex Linder, the only way out is through the Jew. And uh, with them firmly in charge here, and they absolutely are, the only hope I see is through um, Tom Metzger's The Worst, The Better. Yeah. You know, so long as people have beer, so long as people have food, so long as they're warm in the winter and cool in the summer, nothing's going to change. Hey, we got a we got a caller here, also another uh, National Alliance uh, member. Uh, do you know Yankee Jim? I uh, I know of him. I've uh -huh. heard him many times on the Hal Turner show. Uh, he's always been a, a really great guy. Well, let's see. Here 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 he is. Let's let's let's, let's, let's let me bring him into the conference here. Oh, cool. And uh, see what he has to say here. Okay. Folks, Yankee Jim. Yeah, hi. Great, glad you called. Yankee Thanks. Jim, I've been a fan of yours for years. Thanks for calling me. Who's this, Michigan Bubba? Yes, sir. We got a lot of talked about there, Bubba. Um, um, I was born and raised right up the road from you, William Beaumont Hospital. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice hospital still. <laughs> Small world, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And great show as usual, Jeff. Well, thanks. Uh, I appreciate that. Keeps getting better. Keeps getting better. Well, I heard as 
I'm sorry, Jim. Go right ahead. Uh, no, I just heard. Uh, I heard you mention that you were from Auburn Hills or Auburn Heights. Uh, well, yeah, it used to be Auburn Heights. It's now Auburn Hills. But I uh, why, why did they change? Hills. Uh, they incorporated into a city to prevent oh. annexation by Pontiac. Oh. I uh, I spent quite a bit of time. Uh, I've been up here in the Jew-infested Catskills for well, I've been in New York since 1979, 1980. But uh, I was born and raised. I was born in in Royal Oak physically at the hospital there, and uh, uh, I grew up. Uh, the first couple of years of my life were spent in Ferndale. I'm, I'm guessing you know where that is. Yes. Coincidentally, the Angry Aryans. Uh, happened to to live there for a while. I, I, uh, it's a large gay community now. Well, I understand uh, that whole strip of Woodward uh, uh, Oak Park is uh, Royal Oak. I, I understand the faggots took that over pretty much completely. Is that accurate? Uh, as far as I know, yeah. I don't go to Royal Oak for anything. Um, in fact, Auburn Hills is as close to Detroit as I ever like to get. But, uh, yeah, it's my understanding Ferndale and the main strip in Royal Oak is primarily faggots. Well, the main strip in Royal Oak, I, we used to race uh, back in, in, in the mid-60s, we, we used to race uh, slot cars, or if, if you know what that is, or you know what they are. Yeah, the one-eighth scale or something? Well, yeah, the, the ones that are about the size, you know, you, uh, of the palm of your hand. The whole, it's, yeah, about, I'd say about ten inches long, maybe. Yeah, and my older brothers the, used to do that. Yeah, they had the huge. Uh, um, I've got about. I, I think I heard you say you're you're 40. Is that correct? 42. Yes. All right. Well, I got I got nine years on you. So, but they were still doing that when you were a kid, and uh, they had a huge track right there on. I, I believe it was Washington Avenue. That sound about right. That's the main strip right through Royal Oak. Yeah. Yeah. That's right downtown there. Yeah. And and then I I you know I'd been. All these little things that went on in Royal Oak, uh, Father Coughlin. I, I didn't know a lot of this stuff when I was coming up. You know, as a kid there, uh, that was all. The, the, what is it? The Church of the of the Little Flower. That that was all in in Royal Oak, or, or maybe Oak Park. You uh, know, the thing about fags that's so weird is that um, uh, I, I'm convinced there are. Uh, you know, for a while there, the fags were running around saying we're we're ten percent of the population, and you know they have these incredible numbers. And then and then uh, there was a kind of a, a reaction that was printed, and you know, their numbers were a lot smaller than that. But you know, I see these uh, gays uh, colonizing communities all over the country, and they've colonized a community near me, and uh, I, I'm shocked at how many fags there are today. I mean, I, I, I don't say that from a naive uh, viewpoint, but, man, uh, the media must be having a tremendous... In, the media and, and the public schools must be having a tremendous impact on our children's minds to cause this many fags to flower up. It's, well, it's, go okay. ahead. A friend of mine said a fag had told him once that only some fags are born fags. The rest are just in it for the perversion, <laughs> you know? So you, I think you, the core number would be would be rather small. I, I don't. Yeah, I, I know, but uh, the, the, I think uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I, there's. I think there's that that certain number of people who are are born into that, but but I think a huge number of them are people who are you know easily swayed, and you know who don't have their moorings very 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 tightly gripped to the ground. And uh, did you see this video that came out? Uh, was about a year or so ago, of this fag gathering down in in, in Disneyland. And these fags took over the whole hotel, and they're they're out fucking on the balconies. Oh God! Yeah, and you know, on the hotel balconies that go up, you know, stories and stories, and they're down there in the pool. Uh, uh, the pool uh, is just stuffed with these fags. They're all over the place. I I I'd never seen anything like that until then. It was it was t- utterly revolting. But just the sheer numbers of them, and what's also was shocking, you know, for me was that. You know, they didn't seem to have any sort of uh, uh, shame or modesty at all. Uh, you know, they, they were out. This was a, a flagrant behavior, and it was very much in your face, and and they didn't really think anything about it. You know, and that's the difference. I, I think it's a mental illness. I, I think it's actually the symptoms of a mental illness because you don't find heterosexuals sitting around in parking lots waiting to meet up and have sex in their cars or other things like that. The things that are erotic to them just simply are not erotic to heterosexuals. Yeah. Jeff, look. Go ahead. Yeah, let me jump in for a second because what you said a few minutes ago, uh, you know, about the the media promoting this this uh, lifestyle is, you know, that's 100% accurate. And I, I could go on. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir here almost. I mean, we all know this, but whoever may be tuning into this I, I doubt you know if they if they know that but basically if uh, I could give you a concrete example uh, I could give you many examples but I like to focus on one when my, my daughter was about 14 years old and she was in the high school uh, the local high school here she was having a conversation in the kitchen with her mother and I, I was a you know eavesdropping in the same room but uh, she was talking about this uh, I guess he was like a nerdy kid. And this is Whitelandia, by the way, up here where I'm at. Uh, uh, I, 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 it's in jest when I, when I say the Jew-infested Catskills. There's still a lot of good stock up here. It is infested with, Jew, with Jews, don't get me wrong, but there's still a lot of German ancestry up here on, with the dairy farms. And uh-huh. This is heavy farmland up here. Many Irish up here. And uh, But getting back to what I was talking about... Uh, they they do promote this quite heavily, and like I said, my daughter was was talking about this kid that was in her school, and she said so, she didn't use the word fag. I think she said he's gay. Now, for a 14-year-old girl to say this about a 13 or a 14-year-old boy, I, I found it kind of shocking. So I jumped into the conversation, and I asked her, "Well, well, how do you know that he's gay?" And she says, uh, "She said, Dad, you, you know, in my best." Uh, uh, girl voice dad like he told us so you've got a 14 year old kid here that has absolutely no problem telling the you know his entire school that he that he's a fag and immediately i put it all together right then and there because uh, because this was back when uh they, they were really going at it with with the uh what's her name uh, ellen degeneres when she that historical moment on television where she uh, laid a wet one on another girl. Yeah. I, I think we all remember that. That's that's where it really started 
I mean, don't get me wrong. There were there were they were really pushing the lifestyle prior to that, but that's where they put it in the high gear, as far as I'm concerned, because you had, in my opinion, this one boy that my daughter was talking about. All of a sudden, you've got one kid who who was one of the most, if not if not the most unpopular kid in the school. All of a sudden, he's the coolest kid in the school. Why? Because he's queer. It's cool to be gay now. It is abs and this is what this is my opinion. I mean, this is just based on observations and conversations. You know, the young kids around. It's cool to be a fag, or at least if you're not going to really be cool, at least be bisexual. <laughs> and we're talking 14 and 15 and 13. You know, tw this we're talking preteens here that they're shoving this crap down their throats. Well, in my son's high school, they had a uh, gay alliance club, or rainbow <laughs> alliance club, and it was a gay club. And when I found out, I was very upset, and I was talking to my son about it. And he said, that's okay. Now we know who the fags are. <laughs> well, they, that's everywhere, too. I, uh, I, You know, they... The, the local paper up here, about a year ago, there was a story. There's a town on the other side of the Hudson River uh, called Red Hook. And it's an all-white town. I mean, there's no, it's, it's just a, it's a, it's a, they, it's, they're known for apples. They're apple orchards. And the Jews from the city are moving up, taking it over, of course, because there's a college there, uh, Bard, uh, an art school. And so they've got their hooks in there, and they, and they've, they're starting to take it over, and the, and the mestizos are starting to flow in because you know they're there now. But uh, same thing. I was. Sh I think they had a. Uh, I, I forget what they call the club, but it was uh, it was a pro uh, home a fag club. This is what they're pushing down these kids' throats, nonstop. They go from the tele They go from that all day long. Diversity clubs. Homo clubs, uh, gay gay awareness, or whatever the the, the the local area is naming the club, and there's usually a Jew right at the top of it, uh, forming the clubs, and then they go home and and they uh, sit in front of a television set, I'm assuming, and that and they just this is all they see nonstop. Well, um, Mitch, have you yes. had have you had any success? Uh, Inculcating, uh, directing your children's uh, thinking. Uh, I'd like to think so. Yeah. Um, from an early age, you know, I, I made racism kind of fun for them. You know. <laughs> you know. You See, that's the thing the I kind of worry about. I think I'll be too dour and mean or something. But you made well, it, you made it fun for them, huh? Yeah, I never wanted to preach it or push it down their throats because when they get rebellious, I figure they would reject it. Yeah. So. Whenever we'd have problems at the drive-through line, you know, it was always a guess as to who the problem was—the customer or the person behind the counter. You know, and invariably it was always a Negro or non-white. Uh, when you move up, when you're behind them in a grocery line, you move up. You just look back and you do the pu noise or, you know, motion, or you kind of snicker at their hair or the, you know, their gaudy clothes or something. Um, things like that that okay. you know would make them crack up. So it was fortunate enough they lived in a white community, but close enough to where they would encounter blacks, and so they could understand the quality of white life, and still be able to see what was wrong with the non-whites. You know, what, one of my one of my ideas, uh, and and uh, I don't think 
I think my kids are anywhere close to your kids' age, but uh, is that, I'd like to I'd like to have them spend some time on a farm, and I mean a real farm where animals are butchered, and uh, and and these type of things these have activities go on, and I it, 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 I think that's almost as important as 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 a racial education because uh, you know I I think I think kids need to kind of be you know. Uh, Anchored to the, you know, not not only blood but soil, right? I mean, when I say blood, I mean racist thinking. But they, they need to also be kind of exposed to the hard realities of life that way, right? Getting up in the morning, uh, taking care of animals, and if necessary, seeing them butchered, and uh, and these type of things, uh, you know, farm work. Uh, I think it's very uh, something like that is, would be very helpful for for a young, especially a young boy. Well, yeah, I think it's very important for people to learn to cope with unpleasant things. Yeah. And watching animals being slaughtered is unpleasant. Having to deal with all the shit, or excuse me, all the crap, and uh-huh. the other duties that you have, those we're are not government things approved things radio. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Yeah, we're not government approved radio, so you can say nigger or shit if you want to. <laughs> so I can say the word Jew. Yeah, you can say the word Jew. <laughs> kike. You can say kike. I can say kike. Okay. Kike, yeah. You can say hook-nosed, filthy fucking kike if, if you choose to. Can I say I, I try to, evil hand-ringer in the background? <laughs> yeah. Say anything you want. It's great. This is genuine free speech here. This is one of the things I like about this show, and I'm sorry I just interrupted. No, no. You, we're, we're all just having a conversation here. But uh, yeah, and yeah, they need to see. They need to. They need to. These kids today. These white kids, Mitch and, and Yankee Jim. I, you know, I see them, and that's another reason why I'm very pessimistic. Because I was uh, out at a at a mall uh, again, uh, and uh, and I, I never buy anything, but I spend a lot of time at these because you know it's a good place to waste time. And and you know I see this uh, one of the first packs of white kids I saw and. And they're all dressed kind of like clowns in these. Uh, it's kind of winter time, and they're in shorts and these funny T-shirts, and and their hair's all unkempt. And these are you know middle class kids. Uh, you know their hair's all messy and stuff, and they're running around you know playing little pranks, and they're with uh, what are those little fart boxes? You know the, the you know uh, that makes fart sounds. They're going up to people and doing that stuff like that. And you know these kids are soft. And, Very. and yeah, and and they're they're wimps. And, yeah, pathetic uh, is what it would be a better word. Pathetic is is yeah, they yeah, really are. They they don't try a lot of things because it's just too hard. Uh huh. And these these Mexican kids, they're going to clean their clocks, and uh, uh, and you know it's not because the Mexicans are are, are smarter or anything like that. I'm not saying innately smarter. Man, the Mexican kids—they know what's going on on a very, on a very low-level evolutionary way. And uh, uh, the, when I see the Mexican kids, uh, I don't see the Mexican kids in these malls so much. Although a lot of them are fat, uh, but um, you know they're they're kind of predatory, right? They got they they have the eyes of a predator. And you know these these white kids—you could come, you know, if you wanted to, you could come up behind them and knock them over the head and take all their money. Yeah. You know, in a, in a second. Very gullible. Oh, you, you could look mean at them, and they'll toss you their money. Yeah. It's, I mean, the the utter fear that whites have and the submissiveness that's been trained into them is, quite frankly, disgusting. And they give up so easily on everything. I remember when my son called me, he had the mother's car out, and he had gotten a flat tire. And 
of course, it was a gym. He didn't know the tire was underneath or anything like that. And he wanted me to get a hold of AAA and have them come out and change his tire for him. <laughs> I laughed in his face wow. on the phone. I said, figure it out yourself. You're a big boy now. Click. Wow. Which that, yeah. made him pretty angry, but... Yeah. That, that kind of stuff happened in the old days. I mean, you know, guys in my generation, and, and I'm sure uh, both of yours, uh, we, we did that kind of stuff. There was no phone call. I mean, you you had a, you, you knew there was a spare tire, you knew there was a jack, and, and hopefully if there was a father in the household, you would have, you know, gotten some advice as to how to go about doing that. But if you didn't, you'd figure, whites could figure that kind of stuff out. Yeah, I mean, he knew how to change the tire, he just didn't know how to get the other one down, but, you know, there he is, he's got the manual in front of him, but his first response is to give up. He didn't even try, and that's well, what kind of angered me at the time. Well, the path of least resistance, I mean, let's be realistic, most white mothers uh, are, are pretty good at uh, uh, weakening uh, their children, uh, making life as simple as possible. I would agree, and I think the late teens, especially early 20s, are a good time in your life to actually endure some hardships. I think yeah, it really yeah. builds some character. Yeah, and, it's, and uh, on the other side of the coin, if you, uh, you know, white, white kids, like you said, they've got this fear instilled in them, and, and they're not, you can just go to any mall. I, personally, I cannot go to a mall anymore. Yeah. I, I, I just can't do it. If I'm forced to, I will, but I... I Anything to avoid a mall, I just can't do it. The food court areas, uh, where the where the pathetic young white kids and the and then you get the the wolf packs of niggers. And I'm sure both of you guys, even though even though you're in a lily white area like I am, you still get the Kingston niggers that go to the town of Alston Mall because they know that's where the young white teenage girls that's are. That's right. And they Same know that's where here. the pathetic white boys are who sit around on a couch and are, who are so out of shape. And and they're not going to uh, uh, fight for their women. They can't physically do it. And even if they were physically able to do so, they uh, they've got that guilt driven into their heads. That uh, and they and they actually sit around and and want to be like these ghetto uh, gangster rapper types. Uh, so personally, I just cannot. I don't think that's pleasant at all. Going and and, and watching this type of. Uh, well, that you know, there are so few public places anymore. I mean, we're I mean, uh, you know, you know, you, you know, places where you can go and just spend time. There are very few public places anymore. And the thing that that really irks me is is where I live. Uh, there are no there are no really true public places anymore. They're all owned by some business, and so you know, it's not like the cities were. Uh, we were talking earlier with Mitch, uh, you know, for our grandparents' generation, where there, you know, there'd be these these uh, sort of public areas in the middle of the city, but there really are none. Everything everything is so sequestered off and divided up, and you, ha you have to end up going to these uh, places like like malls and stuff because there's nowhere else to go. Well, malls actually. Uh and Mitch may may remember this, he may not remember it, but when I was a kid, and, and I may have this wrong, but uh, there used to be a mall right on the Detroit border of, uh, I believe it, it was Southfield. Northland Mall. Yeah, when, and, and if I'm not mistaken, um, that I think I read somewhere that that was actually the first mall in, in America. 
I, I might have that wrong, but I, I'm almost certain I read that somewhere. But uh, and it wasn't enclosed back when I was a kid. Uh, I understand they just uh, bulldozed that thing or just done away with the whole thing completely. It just turned into such a nigger infested. Uh, but when I was a kid back in the 60s, the early 60s, it was fun going there. And it was white. It was, like I said, it was right on the border of Detroit, but the borderline where, where it was at the time in Detroit was, was, that section of Detroit was all white. And it was, there was no crime. There was no, no muggings, no carjackings. It was, it was a pleasant experience even though there was you know a real good chance that you were going to that mall to give your money to a kike it was still you could still do it with a smile on your face and it was something to look forward to that that uh, place became a dangerous place by the early 80s mid 80s yeah well that's when i when i moved out of there and and it was no believe me it was actually <laughs> it started before that but it i guess you mean real real hard and absolutely intolerable yeah, absolutely. And well, that's because the niggers started moving into Southfield, or Southfield, as they like to say. Yes, I, and Oak Park and all the surrounding area. Well, yeah. all the Detroit areas, even including uh, parts of Redford at that time. Yeah. Well, we we used to shop as as you know there, and then on Nine Mile, Nine Mile had the little main main street, and um, th that's where we'd shop. Uh, and and there were. You know, you, you never saw a black face. There was a section, if I remember, if I got this right, and you seem to know uh, a lot about the area there, Mitch, there was a section called Royal Oak Township. And there's, <laughs> there's an interesting, and, it, and it's actually borders on 8 Mile Road, and there's a long concrete wall. And if I'm not mistaken, to, the, to this day, uh, that wall is still there. It's a controversial wall, and it was, in essence, to keep the niggers out or keep them in. And it had to do with some old town insurance law. If you go to, to uh, that, there's that website, The Ruins of Detroit, you can actually read about this wall. And, and it, there's a section on 8 Mile Road. But, uh, yeah, that's that, a great that, website. Oh, yeah. It, well, it's actually sad. I've actually sat reading that uh, nights I couldn't sleep. I've actually started crying reading that. Uh, I know I sound like a pussy, but I've actually sat there with. I was, uh, because I, that's where I was, those are, you know, the J.L. Hudson building, the, I think if you go to that website, you see the J.L. Hudson building being imploded, and it looks sort of like the World Trade Center when it went down, but uh, that's where I got my first Led Zeppelin album, back in 1969 at the J.L. Hudson, you know, Detroit's history, it's gone, it's, it's, well, it's no longer a part of our history, it's, it's got to be completely leveled. And start start over. It's 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 sad. It's very sad because that's just one city of many. My grandparents bought their first house. How ironic is this? My grandparents bought their first house back in 1920 in Dearborn when Henry Ford was on his roll with with the, the what was it the paper the Dearborn Independent that all, all, the, all the articles ended up be turning into the, the books, uh, the four-volume set, The International Jew. That's where my grandparents bought their first house in, uh, in Dearborn, which was, was totally nigger-free, uh, nigger and I, I don't think there were who's living in Dearborn at the time either. Well, what, I don't, what, I don't now. what I don't understand about, about Michigan is that uh, why are the niggers staying there? It doesn't seem like a, uh, a place... 
uh, you know, it's cold up there, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of, well, they don't work, but in, uh, it, doesn't, it, does, it doesn't seem to be a very attractive place for them. They've pretty much run down the infrastructure of the state. Why, why, do, why do they still stay up there? Well, one of the fortunate aspects about Michigan, it is a very segregated state. Oh. The Negroes tend to stay in the inner cities. And, you know, very cheap housing. The welfare goes a long way there. Um, they control their neighborhoods. They've kicked out all the whites. Uh, they're oh. run by blacks. And it's funny, Jim mentioning Royal Oak Township. It got so bad in Royal Oak Township that the state and the county actually had to fire all of the Royal Oak Township's police and take it over. <laughs> it was that bad. I think if, uh, just a little bit of Royal Oak uh, Township trivia, if I'm not mistaken, John Lee Hooker uh, refers to that uh, place as home. Well, one of the unfortunate things about Michigan is wherever the car companies had plants is where you find blacks. Oh. So a lot of potentially great cities, uh, Grand Rapids, Saginaw, um, any place where there was not a plant, you still see the residual pollution from them, which is the, the Negro base that's still there. And, you know, Mitch, you know what? Let me jump in here. Um, I know this is going to sound funny, and it may even sound like Yankee Jim's going soft, <laughs> but uh, when, I, when I was growing up in Detroit in the, in the early 60s, to, in early to mid-60s, it was I lived over on the east side. As uh, matter of fact, I grew up right across the street from the old Packard plant. And if I'm not mistaken, you can actually go to visit the old Packard plant on that uh, Runes of Detroit website. Yeah, it's uh, been since torn down. But my father actually worked there, and so did my grandfather. It's amazing uh, how, how small the world is. matter of fact, I may have even met you in Washington, D.C., but we'll go into that later. Uh, but but the whole thing is, back in the 60s, when there was auto work there, there were Negroes that, this is going to sound funny, but they actually worked. And they were actually, to a certain degree, uh, about, as, about as well behaved as a Negro could be. I mean, they actually worked and came home and, you know, spent time with their kids and stuff like that. You, you know, they, there was TNB that was always going on. You know, you'd always read about or see or hear about some negress, you know, running out on a Saturday morning in her pink fuzzy house slippers with a butcher knife in her hand and she'd be slashing her her her, her man's tires on his deuce and a quarter because he was out whoring around the night before on a you know, when he bust busted his paycheck at the liquor store. But uh I mean that was always there. That that's just part of being a nigger. But for the most part, uh you know, and, and I tell people this all the time that, you know, even when there were Negroes in Detroit in the 60s, it was still a pretty nice place to, to live. It really was. But, uh, and then when you start digging and reading, you know, I, I was never a book uh, worm or, or, a, or a student type when I was a, a, a teenager. You know, I dropped out of high school mainly because of the racial uh, violence that was going on in the 60s. Um, but when you start reading how this all happened, you know, how all the Negroes ended up going north, well, they all migrated up there because they needed factory workers. And, and why did they need factory workers? Well, because our German and our Irish uh, and, and English brothers, we, all the whites had joined the war to go kill their brothers and their cousins during World War II. So there was a shortage of labor up in the north. 
you start putting all this stuff together, it gets it gets more than interesting, and then you actually kind of start getting mad about it, uh, the the way it was all this this Jew war. Uh, you know, all the, all the whites joined the military because they had this sense of uh, patriotic duty to go kill these evil, uh, you know, Nazis. And that's when, when the influx of the Negroes from the South really, really uh, took off. Look, look, folks, let's, let's take a, let's take a, a break here. I, I, I let it roll on. I should have uh, had the discipline to turn it off uh, or take a, a break at the top of the hour. It's 1030, and I, I want to give out the contact number again. We're, we're going to close the show down in a half hour. At, that's 11 Central Time. And I hope, I hope you can stay, Mitch. Can you, ha- can you hang on? Yes, I can. Okay. And um, I want to repeat, we'd like to have uh, some more callers. We want you to stay on the line, Yankee Jim. But um, uh, the the Skype ID is VNN Free Talk Live. That's VNN Free Talk Live. Uh, If you you got comments or questions, Billy Bob sent me quite a few. Uh, and uh, and maybe we we need some more. Send send you can send the chat message to VNN Free Talk Live too if you don't want to come come on the show. But that's the contact numbers. And we're here with Yankee Jim and Mitch Bubba from Region Five dot net. And let's play a song, and we'll be back in about five minutes.
Vanguard Radio. No Jews. Just right. <laughs>